0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Lloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to GriefCast.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. Hey
1: Griefsters, I hope it's been an okay week for you all. Uh, We had some very lovely news this week. We won an ARIA award. Yay! Which, if you don't know, is an audio and radio industry award for best podcast. Uh, So, so over the moon. Uh, I actually couldn't go to pick it up because I'm currently in a play about death and cancer. Very on brand. Um, so my amazing editor Kate Holland went to pick it up at the ceremony in Leeds, and you might not have been there, uh, so you might have missed what uh, I wrote for her to say. And one of the things I wrote for her to say was thank you. So I just want to say it again, uh, genuinely thank you to every single one of you who is listening to this. If it wasn't for you listening and downloading and you know doing all the other things that podcasts ask you to do all the time, uh, we wouldn't be able to carry on. So genuinely thank you. We share this award with you, although. I probably can't give you the award. I kind of, there's only one that, in spirit. We also have two live shows coming up uh, on November the 3rd at the BFI in London at 5pm. We will be doing a cheery chat about death with Emma Freud and Catherine Ryan. And on November the 16th at 7pm, we'll be at the Dulwich Picture Gallery with Jeff Lloyd from Reasons to be Cheerful, Stevie Martin from the Nobody Panic podcast and Sophie Duker from Channel 4's Riot Girls as well. If you head to the BFI website or the Dulwich Picture Gallery website, you should be able to book tickets or we have tweeted about them as well on the Cast Twitter. This week's guest is comedy writer and podcaster Jason Hazley. Jason is an incredible comedy writer. He has written jokes for Mitchell and Webb, Armstrong and Miller, Screenwipe, Philomena Kunk, the Paddington films, the Ladybird books for grown-ups, just to name a few of the incredible things he's been involved with. Jason came in to talk to me about his dad, who died in 2012. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with comedy writer Jason Hazley. Hello. Hello. Hello Jason. I'm we hesitated I hesitated on comedy writer because you do so much. Like I'm trying to if I even started listing, so you do those funny Ladybird books. Yes. You've got a new Radio 4 series out at the moment yes. called Agendum. Agendum. Available on the iPlayer, I'm sure. Yes. Um you've worked on the Paddington films.
2: Did some rewrites on Paddington 1 like, and 2, yep.
1: yeah. Yeah, like you do a lot
2: i I'm, I'm busy, yeah that's <laughs> if that's if that's what you're getting at, yeah, yeah. and you
1: work with um with Joel, Joel Morris, Joel Morris. Yeah. but what I like about you guys, one, you're funny, that's nice, but two, I feel like it's nice to see like proper comedy right because lots comedy's changing at the moment, isn't it? like it tends to be like maybe a stand up will write a show, yeah, but you guys the, yes. like are like genuine comedy writers, I feel, like you're people who just you can hire you and you will make things funny
2: well, this you know what there was something I was reflecting on this because. The recent death of Dennis Norden, oh, d- you know, yes. and Dennis Norden and Frank Muir were basically comedy writers. And yeah. then, but the one thing people remember Dennis Norden for is for presenting "It'll Be All Right" on the night, yeah. you know. Whereas you forget that he wrote hours and hours and hours of comedy, and he wow. wasn't really a front of camera man.
1: Yeah, well, he was always a bit awkward front of camera.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, I think he, I think that clipboard was a sort of safety blanket <laughs> yeah. for him, wasn't it?
1: Are you hoping for your own version? of it's all right in the night, eventually. Of course, eventually. <laughs>
2: absolutely, yeah. YouTube bloopers or something. No, I've been in front of the camera a few times as well, and it turns out that that's not somewhere I should be either. <laughs> the, first, the first time I ever did, I asked. I was, we were writing on a series of that Michelin Webb look, and I said to the producer, can I have a line in this series somewhere? Just because I thought I'd like to stamp my face on yeah, TV, yeah, yeah. because I've, been, I've written a lot of it. And he said, yeah, of course. So I played a... There was just a, a some Bond parody... Um, and the opening shot was a camera sweeping across um, a casino towards some people who were playing, um, I think they were playing Whack the Rat or something, that was the <laughs> idea, it was a, it was a, it was a casino yeah. with all the wrong things in it.
0: Right.
2: And I was a croupier, and all I had to do was to step up to a table and say, faites vos jours, Monsieur dame." And it was two paces I had to take. <laughs> and when they said action, I realised I had forgotten how to walk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Walking and talking is hard.
2: Walking's really hard. Yeah.
1: And then talking. In front
2: of me, anything in front of a camera, it turns out for me, is fucking difficult.
1: But I'm almost a bit glad because if you are such a good comedy writer, that if you were also like a flawless walker... It'd yeah, be too much. I Jason. know,
2: yeah. We well, be... can't do everything. You you, know.
1: Exactly, exactly. can't
2: got... walk and write comedy at the same time.
1: <laughs> and you have your own podcast, which yes. is like, Rule of Three. Yes. It's a brilliant podcast. Which... Well,
2: uh, the most brilliant episode, of course, featured Carriad Lloyd talking about improvisation. No
0: way, How's We've... that. We've... Yeah, She's great. She's
2: great. We've <laughs> had so many comments about that episode. That's very and nice. And rightly so, because Joel and I came away from it. Um, so excited, going fucking hell! We just learnt tons and tons from Carrie. So we, so we, sh- uh, we shuffled the running order around and, and hurried it out.
0: That's
1: very for nice. The next episode. I think it, I enjoyed it a lot because um, I think we talked about this on the show. As an improviser, you don't get to hang out often with comedy writers who are very like, you know, writers not improvisers. And it was quite nice for that those two worlds to come together. Yes. And it, help each other understand what the other one does, rather than be like, oh, writers think improvisers just you know make it up and aren't working or improvisers think writers are yeah, boring yeah. and you know like to be like oh no no we like we could learn from each other i mean this is going to turn into rule of three if we're not careful this is true yes 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 i want yes, to start yes. interviewing you about comedy um so on a not as funny note uh, handbrake, turn. <laughs> <laughs> handbrake turn i know i sometimes they, they they go smooth but this is a handbrake turn um who are we remembering today
2: we're remembering my dad
1: what was your dad's name keith keith yes. keith hazley oh i like it
2: Well, he's Keith Smith, actually, because I was born Jason Smith, but then had to change my name because I was in a band with two other Jason Smiths.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Of course you were...
2: See? See how that one works? It was right. ridiculous. And then I got called in by a film company. A, pr- a film producer called me in for a meeting and said, I love the music you did for the film something or other. And I went, "And there's another one. There's another Jason Smith.
1: she was <gasps> the wrong one. So oh my I, God. So I was the
2: wrong guy being called. And I thought at some point, OK, uh, I'm going to start getting credit for other people's work. They're going to get credit for mine. I need to find another name wow. which means that I'm not going to be mistaken for anybody else on PRS or something. Yeah. So of I, fa- I I found a I picked the word hazy off a bottle of mineral water. <laughs> <coughs>
1: Doing on that for what? Haisley?
2: I don't know. I went to a restaurant somewhere and there was a bottle of Haisley Down mineral water, and I thought <laughs> that's—I've never heard that word before. It's a tiny village in Hampshire, I think. I thought That's what what all do. this.
1: I've always thought God, what unusual name Haisley yeah. is. It's really lovely. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? It's really I nice. chose it. <laughs> if well, if you can choose your last name. Yeah, true. You can choose a nice one. So your dad was just. Keith Smith. Keith
2: Smith, He didn't yes. enjoy
1: the benefits of a hazily. He didn't
2: have a Hazy benefit, no. No,
1: hazily. benefit. Oh, um, I've got a terrible hazily benefit. Um, <laughs> I'm applying for hazily benefits. Um,
2: <laughs> lot of forms.
1: Too many, all in wood. Um, <clears throat> this is, see, naughty. Um, when I'm when, no, trying to handbrake turn again, I'm trying to get out of the car, to be honest with you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this metaphor could run and run. Yes.
1: When did he die? He
2: died on the 27th of April, 2012.
1: 2012. I and not it, that long ago. No. Yeah.
2: But isn't it odd that one of the things I didn't realise pre-losing a parent is that you suddenly get another date in your calendar. Yeah, You go, yeah. ooh, 27th of April's coming up soon, isn't yeah. it? And you go, oh, I didn't want, I didn't want to, that's a shitty date to remember. Yeah. What a thing. But it sits there like one of my kids' birthdays, you know? yeah.
1: It's like, it just adds to the list of things you have yeah. to remember, don't you? Yeah. And do you, I don't, you have this, my anniversary is also April, and so I hate April. I'm really not a fan. Really happy once we get through to May. Like, I really, unless, do you have another birthday in April?
2: No, no, no. But I, but I know what you mean. It's, um. It
1: just makes me like, oh God, it's April.
2: Did you have that thing, I had it in the first year after he died. Uh, the two dates I dreaded were his birthday, mm. the first birthday after yeah. his death. And the anniversary of his death, because I just thought, oh, the f- this is going to be horrible. Yeah. This is going to be really hard to get through. And his birthday was a day after mine. So uh. my birthday that year was a very glum occasion yeah. and I really couldn't do anything with it. Because you
1: know what's coming tomorrow. Because I
2: knew that tomorrow was going to be shitty. And it turned out that his birthday was actually better than mine. <laughs> um, so, and then when the anniversary of his death came round, it, again, it wasn't what I was expecting. And the takeaway from this of course is that grief is not something that runs on a clock is yeah, it it's just no. it's weather it comes yeah, and yeah, goes, yeah. you know. On yeah, my way English here today, weather. on my way here today, I checked the weather forecast, and it said it's not going to rain, so I didn't put a rain jacket on. And when I stepped off the tube, it was raining, you know. So it's just, it's just weather. It comes and goes. Yeah. And sometimes I'll get pitched into a couple of days of grief for no apparent reason whatsoever, because yeah. there isn't a reason usually.
1: It's just no, and that's a lot of people use weather as an analogy. Like I often think, like a black, you know, the black cloud or yeah. dark clouds, or you know, that kind of like suddenly everything seems foggy, and it's you know exactly the same as English people british people during a summer when they're like god it's hot i didn't expect that oh it's rain you know we're always surprised yet we shouldn't be and exactly the same with grief you're always like what why and you're like Th- this is grief this i is mean i happens. think it's taken yeah. like 20 years and now i'm like oh yeah of course it's come out of nowhere i don't question it anymore yeah
2: yeah it, but that
1: I, takes a long time ditto
2: I yeah i think it's uh, it's very similar to um matt haig who is a lovely oh, yeah, writer and a lovely man said in uh, Reasons to Stay Alive, he's, he's talking about depression, obviously, but the uh, very similar operating system. He yeah. said, um, depression is the cloud, but you are the sky.
1: And uh, you go, yeah, that's yeah. a
2: nice way of thinking of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you're still there. Yeah. It's just, you can't, it's a bit crap at the moment. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. But don't worry, the sun will come out. Yeah,
1: exactly. I know, it's so...
2: And then you'll be surprised that it's sunny. <laughs> God, it's hot, isn't it? <laughs> it's hot, isn't it? It's <laughs> summer.
1: And we say, we say on the show all the time, like, the first year is is the, you know, it's not that other years are easier, but that f- the first, six, like your first love, you know, your first mm. death, it's that first time you've been through it. And I agree with you, like, the birthdays and the anniversary, and I we get a lot, I get a lot of tweets on the Griefcast Twitter of people going, oh, I'm coming up to the first anniversary, oh my God, oh my God. And the advice, you know, everyone always piles in with is like, I think the worry of it is always worse. Like the weeks before, you're yeah. like, oh God, it's going to be so bad. That's and then the actual true. day, it's normally kind of quite, Bland and just sort of happens, yeah. But I think the week before, you're like, Oh, god, it's good. And that I don't, you had this like the time, like I'd look at the clock and be like, uh, yeah. Oh, my god, it, yeah. this yeah. time a year ago, this time three years ago, we were, you know, and you yeah. sort of can't help but fracture your life back to that yeah, moment. I know and, it
2: was exactly 1 pm on the 27th oh, of April, god, so yeah. at 1 pm on the 27th of April. If I'm in the right mood, I'll raise a glass to him,
1: you yeah, know? yeah.
2: Um, but his. Can I tell you about how he died? Yes, I was
1: just about to say. Please tell me.
2: Because the, because I've, I've never I've never I wanted to write about this, but I've never got round to it. Um, so I'm going to do this here and now, and then never revisit it. I think he um, he was a very stubborn man, and he didn't like going to the doctor.
1: Oh right. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I it's think a, we all a know classic, a song about that. It's don't a we? classic <laughs> character. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, <laughs> and he started coughing and he carried on coughing and his cough turned into a 24 hours a day cough oh
1: my goodness
2: and for 18 months he refused to go to the doctor
1: and he was coughing all the yep. time yeah he had
2: to move out of the shared bedroom because he was coughing all the way through the night as well
1: and he, had he to wouldn't sleep
2: d- sitting up and he oh. wouldn't go to the doctor my he was God. such a fool um, and finally he was taken by ambulance to hospital oh God. and they said to him you need a you need a quadruple heart bypass so he had a quadruple heart bypass, Wow. and he rallied for about three days, and then he started coughing again, Oof. and the hospital went, "Oh, well, you did need a heart bypass, but what's this?"
1: Yeah. And they
2: couldn't figure it out. Um, and well, so when
1: they first looked, they were like, "Oh, ignore the cough; it's well." The heart. He had a
2: massively distended heart, um, wow. so they had to replace. You yeah, know, that was the
1: like the four valves, or
2: whatever they are. I'm not very good on plumbing, um, <laughs> and. Uh, so they helped him, but the cough persisted, um, and eventually he was—he had an oxygen cylinder at home and was sitting there, yeah. you know, breathing oxygen, and he couldn't walk very oh, far God. because it, it was really debilitating him. And then he started—he started to really lose his breath, so he was taken into hospital, um, and he lived abroad with my mum. So she rang me and. It was pretty clear that something very serious was wrong, oh, okay. so I got straight on a plane.
1: Where did they live? Was Spain. It oh, right, okay, so not too um, far, but yes, yeah. typical
2: not... Essex people retiring to Spain. <laughs> um, and uh, they... Uh, so I went over to see him, and I walked into... He was in intensive care at the time, and he was... It, he looked terrible because he was wearing a sort of... It was like... It was a cross between an oxygen mask and a prison, basically. He had this thing clamped to his face so hard that it was pulling skin back, you know, because it was, for some reason, they wouldn't, they didn't want to allow anything other than the pure oxygen to get to him. Um, And he said from behind it, not as bad as it looked, actually, (laughs) Um, even though it was, it really did look terrible. So I imagine it was as bad as it looked. And after a few days, they moved him out of ICU and put him onto a ward. And he was there for quite a while, and we—I hung around in Spain for a couple of weeks and went and visited him every day. And he was just—he had to remain very still, and he had to have oxygen now and then. And he could talk a little bit, but not too much. And he could eat a little bit, but not too much. Was he
1: still coughing at this point, or was he just very like, Occasionally, weak? Occasionally,
2: yeah, yep, he was God. still coughing, and they still hadn't worked out what was wrong with him.
1: God, that's wow. So you're just sort of in this mystery. He's obviously not right. Yeah. That must have been really hard as well. It was very
2: strange. And then one, he had a really bad night one night and he asked a nurse for a bedpan and he needed help to be sat onto the bedpan because he shouldn't move too far.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And he couldn't pass a stool um, and then he felt he needed a bedpan a couple of hours later so he asked the nurse again and the same thing happened, couldn't do anything. He asked a third time... And she said, um, she said, no, I'm sick of bringing you a bedpan. Um, and he shat the bed.
1: Oh, God.
2: And then the following morning, two ward orderlies came to give him a, a bed bath. And they were a bit rough with him. And he started coughing and panicking. Um, and my mum was there with him it was first thing in the morning um and he was in a he was in a real state panicking saying i can't breathe i can't breathe um so they they slammed him straight down into icu again and sedated him um so those were the last words he spoke i can't breathe oh, Jason. he was then in icu for a further a couple of weeks i think it was and at this point he was no longer ours. He was hospital property. Mm. So the hospital would only let a maximum of two visitors in for one hour a day at a given time. And everyone had to be wearing, you know, shoe covers and gowns and wow. things. Wow, and
1: so this is, this is in Spain still? Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, despite my description of what happened to him on his last night of consciousness, the hospital was very good, actually. Um, I just think he got a bad nurse there. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, yeah, so he was in he was in intensive care then, and one by one, all of his bodily functions were being outsourced to pieces yeah, of machinery. Yeah. So he was surrounded by hundreds of thousands of euros worth of things that were beeping and hissing and pumping oh and whirring. And,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, and we sat and talked to him for an hour a day um, for a couple of weeks. And at some point after a couple of weeks of this, I thought, I really do feel like I'm surrounded by the stench of death here, and mm. I need to get some, I want to see... The living again, so I said to my mum, "I'm going home for a few days to see my partner and my kids."
1: Yeah, because it's very hard because, when you're in that. Yeah, like, and we've talked about it before. Of like that sense of death is so strong; you feel like you're breathing it in, mm. and it feels like it's taking over you. And yep. there's a sort of primeval part of your brain going like, "Get out! You can't breathe. You can't breathe here." Yeah, yeah. And it's really it's hard because obviously it comes with so much guilt because you want to be near them but at the same time you're like i know to for me to survive i have to like go and just breathe some air somewhere absolutely yeah But it's really and obviously it's not you know that's the nature of icu and hospitals but it's yeah it's hard i think there's a lot of guilt in which is understandable but it's just it's that sort of that part of your brain being like, you can't stay here. Like you can't yeah, survive yeah. here. It was a
2: very primal instinct. Actually, yeah. it was a very primal. I have got to be surrounded by the signs of life.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got to remember I'm yeah. not dying because you yeah. think you start feeling you're dying.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because you're basically you're being surrounded by yeah. dying. Yeah. And there was no question that he was dying by that yeah. point. It was absolutely self-evident. My mum was still saying, "Do you think he'll come back home?" And I was going, "No, no, he's <sighs> not. He's not going to come yeah. back now." We, I used to get one of the things I used to do was I took my phone in there. And played him one of his favourite songs every day. Chose a different one every day, just because I've read somewhere, and I've got no idea how you the know this, hearing. that hearing is the last thing. Yeah, to Yeah, I know,
1: I've heard that. So too. I've got
2: no idea. I mean, but I watched the the many things that were the the many machines that were attached to his brain yeah. for any signs of any change of waveform, and nothing was happening. So I don't yeah. think he heard a thing. Um, I even played him his first dance from his wedding, and oh. even that didn't get to him. The dying sod. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I went home, and of course he died while i wasn 't there weird, weird timing for his death as well it was one it was one o 'clock in the afternoon when the visitors were let in, and my mum went in to see him, and uh, he had lain still doing nothing now for quite for a few weeks, mm. and he suddenly took a sharp intake of breath and opened his eyes and died wow um. Which I think really traumatised my mum because she it was very, very clearly, this is the moment of death. Yeah, you know? And yeah. I think she read his opening of eyes as his acknowledging, I'm dying, I'm, that's it, I'm dead. Yeah. You know? um, so I then went back to Spain a few days later and he had he'd chosen to leave his body to medical science for research. Which is very rare in Spain,
1: mm, right. because
2: they're quite strictly Catholic.
1: Of course, yeah, yeah.
2: So his act of generosity was sort of not read that way.
1: Because <laughs> they were like, he wants to what? <laughs> Sorry, that's not what we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: also, the hospital were were like, to my mum, where's the family? Why aren't the family here? Oh, wow. And she said, well, my son's gone back to uh, yeah. London for a few days. and Well, sh- you should be here. With a dying relative, you know, there was lots of sense of duty and bollocking wow. going on.
1: God, that's mad.
2: I know, I know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> different strokes for different I folks. guess
1: that's the, yeah, it's very, you know, you are in a completely different culture. But it's funny, isn't it? Like, things like, that doesn't mean I don't, because there's not 20 people here weeping. It doesn't mean people aren't sad. Yeah. But, of course, that's what they read are sad. Yeah, yeah. You know.
2: read And as respectful, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Because yeah. it would have been respectful, I suppose. I went to the funeral parlour. I said, I want to see him to say goodbye to him. Turned up at this funeral parlour, which was a huge fucking place. It was very, very Californian. Um, And talked to the guy there who said, OK, well, we'll lead you into the chapel of rest and you can see your father. Um, I'd done this before, many years ago, when my grandmother died. I went into the chapel of rest where she was in Cornwall and there she was laid out, looking beautiful and young Mm. and lovely and at peace. And I walked into the Funeral or the funeral parlour in Spain into the Chapel of Rest, and there was a nice big stained glass window at one end, and at the other end, um, two orderlies pushed a trolley through a door with a body bag on top of it.
1: Oh, God!
2: And I thought, right, okay, because if he's leaving, yes. If he's leaving his body to medical science, oh, yeah. of course...
1: they can't they sort of won't, do stuff to it. They
2: won't do anything it. Yeah. to it, so oh, he's just God. been in a fridge, in a bag. Oh, God. Jesus. And they unzipped the top of the bag, and there he was, one eye still open, his nose apparently broken, great marks on his neck where the lines had been attached to him.
0: Oh, God.
2: Unshaven. He just looked fucking awful. Yeah, and fuck. it And it really upset me. And I started to feel guilty then about going, fuck, I should have been here. I could have shaved him. You know, just yeah, stuff like that, yeah. which is sort of cosmetic and irrelevant. Yeah, know, but yeah. It's the kind of thing that gets you. My mum and sister were there with me and I, I'd gone in alone. And so I looked at the state of him and was kind of, I thought, I'm going to hold his hand. I'm going to talk to him. So I said to the, the orderly who pushed him through on the trolley, could you leave me alone for a few minutes? And he went, well, how long do you need?
1: Oh, my God. And it was
2: really, I really felt like uh, I'm, I'm, we've been terribly disrespectful in some way here. Yeah. I, don't really, I couldn't really get into it. I couldn't really understand it. So I had a few minutes with him and spoke to him and told him I loved him, which was more or less true, um, and then um, left him to it. And I went out to my mum and sister who were waiting outside, and one of them, I can't remember who, said, do I want to see him? Yeah. And I said, no, you don't. No, Dan, no. Yeah. You definitely don't.
1: God, that's so interesting. Then, so do you think there was a big problem that he wasn't, you weren't sort of doing a Catholic burial, <sighs> like he wasn't in a coffin, and they just didn't quite I know so. what was going on. You I know? think so
2: because because for instance, in the in the medical system out there, once they've you know carved you open and done bits and pieces to you and so on, they then what's left of you is then given a proper Catholic burial wow. by the hospital. Wow. So I think that, you know, in some way or other, uh, we were, he was, this was his decision, let's remember, he was either um, defying Catholicism or deferring Catholicism in yeah, some way, yeah. in a way that they didn't like. Um, I, I was suppose really, perhaps
1: that normally happens when there isn't a family.
2: Well, maybe, yeah. I suppose you know? what do you do when someone, you know, yeah. is, so, there's no one there to mourn for them? You yeah,
1: know? so perhaps it's more common that it's like, oh, okay, he's being... Used for research yeah. because there aren't, and they just couldn't. I get. I'm trying to think of an equivalent. Like if someone here was like, "Oh, we're going to send him to the moon," and, you'd yeah. okay, <laughs> okay, so you have to like, please, can you put him in a moon suit? Now all the doctors here being like, "Okay, like, uh, don't you want to? Do you want some family to see him before we send him to the moon?" Like, I guess they just, yeah, you just saw out the Must want to wave you on goodbye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's really, it's such a funny it's such a funny small clash of culture but obviously mm. it has such a huge effect on you on you and your family. Yeah. I think that's really interesting cuz it's like you you know we forget as a country that isn't predominantly catholic hasn't been for a very long time.
0: Mm.
1: You know, if you know your history, <clears> Henry <throat> VIII, guys I'm not just like being anti-catholic. Something no, realizes real. Yeah, it it happened. And so when you do go to those countries where you know catholicism is still very present and a very big deal. Yeah, it's just that all that other stuff comes with different, yeah, different baggage yeah, in the way that yeah. we have our baggage, you know.
2: And you don't, I think I didn't read some of the signifiers. I was, I mean, how I was, would you know? I mean, that's like, no, how would I know? I'm where not, in your not life Catholic?
1: would you get that know. lesson of like, if your father dies in a Catholic country, like who's... Make
2: sure you're there, <laughs> yeah, exactly. for Christ's sake.
1: But also I think that, I want to go back to that because that happens on the show so much that people say, the moment I left, they died.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's
1: so common that I am now convinced that either they, either they want you there. If they want you there, they'll wait for you. And if they don't, they won't. Mm. <laughs> like, I think it's such a common thing that they don't want the kid. They choose to go when the children. I are wonder. I
2: mean, obviously, we'll never know. But it's a perfectly plausible theory, isn't it? Yeah. I, still, also, there's something. It's either. A beautiful coincidence, or it's, or, or there's something we'll never know as well about the fact that it was when my mother walked in at yeah. visiting time, oh, yeah. held his hand, and he died.
1: Yeah, I do think that's. Oh, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't know. I don't know, I don't but know. I can only go by the stories that I hear on this, and it, it often is. They either, they often don't want the kids around. It seems yeah. I hear so many stories of the <laughs> children saying, and now having had kids, I think I get it. I can understand being like, yeah, I don't want you to have to see this. But my wife or my partner, yeah, my husband, yeah, yeah. They, they're they my level. They understand that's different. But I don't want you to have to be there. It's so common that someone goes, literally, like, I went to get a cup of tea. Or, I went to go and buy something in the shop. You know, I went back to home for a cu- to have a bath. And then they fucking call me and they're like, they've died. It's, you know, it's, who, who knows? Who but, knows? So, yeah, so then your your sister or your mum, you said don't see them. And then did you have a funeral later?
2: No. No. Um- So the next thing that happened was, obviously, when you're a body ready to be sent to a research hospital, you have to be got there fairly quickly. And as we left the funeral parlour, a black windowless transit came past us. And I went, that's him, isn't it?
0: Oh, God. That's
2: him. I know that's him. (laughs) he's not in a funeral car, is he? He's just in a refrigerated van. Off he goes.
1: Did you speak to him about this choice?
2: Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah, okay. and I, I fully supported it. I think it's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, the thing, of course, it left us with was an absence of a funeral and yeah. an absence of a memorial.
1: So yeah, there's no so funeral. They take no the funeral. body.
2: We had a memorial service back in uh, back in the UK, and I said to my mum, "I'll speak. I'll say something," because I thought I'm a writer. I can do this. Yeah,
1: yeah. Fucking hell. It's a different job. Wrong. It's It's not like writing some jokes for someone. It's
2: really not writing Philomena Kunk. It's it's (laughs) so good grief. Um, Hardest bit of writing I've ever done. It was only about 800 words. But even then, I had to, for some reason, I had to couch it in terms that meant I was in touch with the writer bit of me. So I even gave it a title it was called my father's nose and other features or something like that you know because i had to it had to be a piece of writing yeah
1: this anyway you otherwise would process it. i
2: would just probably lose my shit you know
1: yeah
2: but oh, it was such a hard thing to do but it was but it was okay but i was i was very conscious as well because we weren't very close my dad and i so i didn't want to write something that sounded like some enormous peon to this wonderful man because yeah. that wasn't the relationship i had with him yeah um so i had to make it absolute I wanted to be scrupulously honest about it so you know I did mention the fact that he was largely an absence of a parent because mm. he 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 did some he made some odd decisions like moving to night shift work which meant that he saw his family for half a day at the weekend and that was it and we worked six nights a week the rest of wow. the time so, you know, there's definitely some, there's something going on there, you know. Yeah, yeah. This, I don't want to turn this into therapy. No. It's mainly th- because I'm going to therapy, <laughs> if you ask. Um,
1: <laughs> How old were you when that happened?
2: When? When he t- took night shifts? I think I must have been about seven or eight, something oh, like wow, that. Oh, wow, young then. Young yeah, enough yeah. to
1: notice that, kind of like, oh, that's a change. Yeah. God, yeah, that's hard. I think it's really, I mean, I have the same, not the same, but like, because our relationship wasn't perfect... You, I never want I never want. Pe- like when people are like, oh, it's so sad. And you're like, yeah, it is. But it's not just sad. Like, it's more complicated than that. Like, mm. you know, it wasn't like, oh, I, my dad was such a great guy. It's like, it's, it, I get annoyed by that. Because I'm like, it's just, is anyone have that simple relationship with their parents? Really? I don't know. They I must see, be happy people. <laughs> you get, I mean,
2: you do get... Um,
1: Some people do. I've had You do get people who say,
2: my mum is my best friend. And uh, every bit of me goes, that doesn't sound right. That, <laughs> it sounds like there's something missing there. Not missing from... You or your mum, but missing from the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, what's going on there? <laughs> um, can I tell you the two best things that were said to me? Yes, In please. the period after he died. Um, I'm going to have to use names here. So <laughs> okay. I don't, this is not me name dropping. This is because it, they are both a great credit to the people. Um, Kevin Elgin, who's a very good friend of mine, kept in touch with me the whole time Aww. my dad was dying, almost on a daily basis. Wow. Just dropping in saying, how's he doing? Um, that, and, that
1: regular contact makes such oh, a difference, doesn't it?
2: God, it's a fantastic thing to do. But yeah. he is a fantastic and staggeringly compassionate human being. He yeah. really is a brilliant man. Um, and uh, when he died, he sent me a, a message saying, um, he did some good things, your dad. Um, and I thought, That's weird, Kevin, you would never met my dad. <laughs> yeah, right, like, what made you say that?
1: Yeah.
2: And of course, it, it didn't take me long to realise, oh, he means me. What a lovely thing to have yeah, said. So thank yeah. you, Kev. And the other thing was, and this was just brilliant, I was in a pub in Shepherd's Bush with a few people, one of whom was Carrie Quinlan.
0: Oh,
1: he's also been on the show? The wonderful yeah. Carrie Quinlan.
2: Um, and uh, I was talking to her about it, and she had lost her dad, I think, about yeah. two or three years before me. And we were talking about it, and she put her hand on my elbow and leaned in and looked me straight in the eyes and went, it's shit, isn't it? And I went. Yeah, that's the most accurate thing anybody is going <laughs> to say to me about this. You're right. It's
1: shit. Yeah. It's just shit. It's shit. It's really shit. shit.
2: Grief is shit. Yeah. Death is shit. It really is.
1: Yeah, it is. And I think so often, like again, like people are like, "Well, why do I feel so bad?" You're like, "Cause someone died.
0: Mm. Like,
1: cause that's what happened." Do you remember the
0: death? Yeah. that Happened. Yeah. So that's that's you why. You feel
1: shit. Like, and this kind of. Yeah, this kind of cleansing of it all, of it all being kind of like, well, and this and that voice and all of this. It's like, no, it's shit. It's really shit. It doesn't mean good things can't come out of it or you that you won't be okay, but it is shit. Like, you must, that has to be acknowledged, first for all, that it's shit. It's mm. just really shit. And it, if someone said, do you want this door where well, you don't have to deal with it or this door you do, you'd be like, oh, the wrong mm. way I don't have to deal with it, please. <laughs> that, that sounds great. That's fine. But, you know, that's that's life and all the rest of it that's weather that's just what happens and grief i think is a very slow acceptance that sometimes things are very shit and there's nothing you can do about it like that's all really the process of grief is it's just taking tiny tiny steps and going oh sometimes it's raining (laughs)
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloid
2: At the memorial service I put I put a little I put an announcement of his death in the local paper in Chelmsford where he was a postman and i also rung the sorting office where he worked and said look, can you stick a notice up saying yeah. there'll be a memorial services so a load of postmen turned up oh. to the memorial service um, and What was dead touching was that they started talking to me um, about my dad, and they were describing a completely different man from the one I knew. They were describing this very sociable, very compassionate, um, very very hard-working, standing up for people in the workplace. He was never like that with his family. So it was weird, such a, it was a very, it? very different person being described to me, which I which I was I was pleased that they had fond memories of him, yeah. but I was also very confused because I thought he didn't bring it home. Why didn't he bring that home? He could have brought that home with yeah.
1: But again, it's that slightly generational thing, isn't yeah.
2: it? Oh, very much, yeah. It and is. it's
1: so like now, there's such a blurring of work and home and you would mm. never keep them separate. I think so many people are like, no, you know, I am who I am and this is what I do. And so it's that uh, my home is as important as my work. But yeah, I've heard that before. of People just being like, that's not the person I knew.
2: No, no. And it's
1: really weird, isn't it? Like, I mean, I, my dad
2: was, for instance, my dad was a racist, right? Um, and he would confess to it. Um He'd say, "Yeah, of course I yeah I am racist. I suppose I am racist. Yeah." And when he retired, I went. I surprised him by turning up at his retirement drinks, and he uh, he introduced me to his best mate Dave, who was a six foot six black guy. And I went. I thought my my dad doesn't. I don't think he understands racism, because <laughs> this is his best mate. <laughs> um,
1: it's really. Did you find that hard then to kind of? reconcile in terms of grief with like the man you were grieving did you feel like I guess well we all have that I mean did you kind of you have that moment and you think oh, I wish they were here so I could just fucking ask was well, that about yeah why are you yeah. saying this like
2: yeah
0: that- I, there
2: were lots of people who gave me different recollections of him which we all would all of which were describing a different person even my sister I talked to my sister about it and she was talking about a couple of conversations she'd had with him and I th- I first of all thought that doesn't sound like him, and then realise that she probably was giving an accurate version of events, it's just that he would never have had that conversation with me, you know. Wow. Which is... Which Are you is older odd. than her? Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, right, so yeah, like, oldest boy, father-son yeah. thing.
2: But then, you know, I was... The thing is, I was very ill as a kid. I actually... I had very bad asthma. In fact, I nearly died at the age of 10 months. Oh, wow. Um, and I think that might have... Therefore, he he, and possibly my mum as well might have associated me with kind of stress, you know, because it must have been pretty horrible. They were told at some point at about half three in the morning, um, a doctor came to them from seeing me and said, have you had him baptised? And they said, no. And he said, "We'd go and get it done at the chapel now.
1: Oh, my God. Because he thought
2: I wasn't going to make it through the night. And in a curious theme of being short of breath... Um, What my dad died of, by the way, is something called pulmonary fibrosis. Right. Which is growth inside the lungs. Extra tissue grows inside the lungs. Meaning that the capacity of the lungs becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And the body Uh, fights for air by coughing. So how he eventually died is basically he drowned.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) Pretty
2: grim death. Yeah. Um, Good job he was sedated, really.
1: Yeah. You know, in (laughs) in a funny old way, (laughs) yeah. Um,
2: Yeah. But then he... But then when – about a year and a half, I think, after he died, my son, who was probably four or five at the time, something like that, got very ill with a sudden shortness of breath. Oh, wow. And it dialed up a lot of bloody feelings, seeing him sitting there fighting for breath. Yeah. Um, So I stayed home with him, and he had a day off school, and he got worse and worse, and eventually he said to me, Daddy, am I going to die and it's the single oh, most upsetting thing that's ever happened to me is hearing a four-year-old child say that. And, of course, he wasn't. He was rushed to hospital and they jacked him full of steroids. And the next day he walked out absolutely fine with the hospital going, we have got no idea what that was. But, boy, did it dial up some stuff. Yeah, of wow. course, of <laughs>
1: course. Of course. It's just all... C- even without your dad, that would dial up some stuff, yeah, you know? Yeah, like yeah. Plus it's those triggering things like you know I we talked about this before like anything cancer I'm like oh like yeah, yeah. someone near me yeah. or anything that happens to me I'm like oh my god is it cancer am I dying is that's what's happening because that's <coughs> what happened to me you know my therapist is always like you know well lots of times you're fine I'm like yes but the one time it really mattered like you yeah. know my dad and he wasn't fine so yeah anything that I think the illness that touches you, like you said, that thing and the fact that you had asthma and then your son not being able to breathe, suddenly that becomes like, I know what that means. Yeah. Like, again, yeah. it? It's primeval. Your body has learned something really, really deep of, that's bad. That's yeah, the bad thing. Yeah, we like, yeah. sh- okay, we need to run And it's to the scary. Animals. Obviously, it's yeah. scary not
2: being able to breathe properly. Oh, yeah.
1: It's, it's really, and i It's I've, really panicky. It's so horrible. I've got, I used to have asthma, actually. It's gone, but my family have loads of asthma and it's. It's a really horrible, horrific when you just literally and you're trying and you just can't take it in, yeah, and yeah. then you panic and you produce more adrenaline because you're like, oh god, oh god, yeah. and you just you know normally need that one drug and you're fine. So God, yeah, Ventolin god. is a
2: wonderful thing. Isn't oh my it? God, it's like,
1: incredible. God,
2: well, I didn't have that when I was a, a tiny oh, bairn, though. So when right. when I used to have asthma attacks as a very small child, I used to have to have a a suppository of a drug called aminophylline. So Whoa. not only was I lying there not able to oh, breathe, God. but someone had to put their thumb <laughs> up my arsehole. <laughs> i so sorry. sorry. I deserve some good luck. <laughs>
1: that is bloody awful. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> So Look, you, the other thing
2: about asthma, of course, and this is true of any shortness of breath, is, is not only is it frightening for the person, but it's oh. also frightening to see. Yeah, it's frightening it's really to witness frightening. people not able to breathe. It's a yeah. horrible fucking thing.
1: It's really, really horrible. Yeah, I suppose because like with cancer or stuff, you can see pain, but you can't You can't be like, oh, they can't breathe. Mm. Like you need a doctor to be like, oh, their liver is failing. You're like, oh, is it? Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, that breathing thing, you're like, I can see it and I know I can imagine how that feels very clearly. So did you, um, after Morrisov, did you, like, did you have like a headstone or you know a pla-, a pla, did you do anything for him? He didn't
2: want anything. Oh right. My okay. my mother planted something in her garden um, in memory of him. I wanted something though because I found on the first anniversary of his death when uh, when the clock came round to one o'clock, and I decided to raise a glass to him, pour myself a little scotch, and then thought I've got nothing to chink this glass of scotch with yeah so i bought an old post box from uh an architectural um salvage place um and had it put in the back garden so that i could go up to the post box and toast it
1: that's adorable (laughs) that's so nice well
2: it's a bit silly really as well isn't it i don't think that's
1: silly at all i think that's I think that's genuinely one of the most beautiful things I've heard Never
2: got any birds nesting in it I mean I was really I thought this would be great You know I'll see a bird coming out of the letterbox one day And go oh we've got a we've got in
1: it." Maybe it's too li- low Maybe you need to build it up with some leaves Because uh, like they might be that. a bit afraid It might be too deep for them Like their bird instinct might be like We might not get out So I think can you open it? Yeah yeah Oh I would open it And I'd put loads of leaves and sticks to raise it a bit And then they might be like oh Alright
2: Good. I came here for bird box <laughs> advice, actually. <laughs> One of
1: the weird things that people don't know is like, I weirdly, I know some stuff about some birds, guys.
2: Do you? Are you a, a, a bird? I'm not a
1: twitcher, but my mum's very into the garden. Ah. So yeah, like I, again, same, like grew up and we've got, she planted a tree for my dad. But like years later, we didn't have anything for years either. As I said, the stories I always say, he was in the wardrobe. His ashes were in the wardrobe for about 10 years. And then eventually when we did spread them, it was in Wales. So yeah i don't have somewhere we can go or anything mm. like that but it's it, weird that isn't it yeah. i I used
2: to think I used to think that graveyards are faintly ridiculous places um yeah. and, but but then you realize no actually these are these are really important these are you know so the important. idea of interring the dead is faintly absurd, but the idea of having a focal point yeah is perfectly logical
1: having it's what you would now describe as a safe space. True. for somebody yes. to go and grieve and yes. and you know you can't do that in the supermarket but in a graveyard and it's quiet and respectful and calm and i feel very fu- i feel funny you know when graveyards are sort of you know and you can see like they a bit's been is gone awry mm. like you know the, the tombstone's fallen over or some trees have got involved and i get really like oh that was once so important to someone and now like there's I, and I get it, it's the process and it's expensive and councils can't yeah. fix everything, but it does yeah. make me feel like... Yeah, I don't you know. I suppose I just hope, well, no one is alive anymore for that to matter and maybe no, that's OK. No, it's strange
2: that, isn't it, when the, you know, the people really for whom the grave was the benefit yeah. are no longer there.
1: Yeah. Or when I, you walk s- over something. It's strange you know,
2: the, I, I was, a few years ago I was doing some family tree research and I wanted to find the, my great-grandfather's grave and my paternal grandmother's grave, and I found my paternal grandmother's grave in Ilford, um, in the most wrecked, vandalised, fucked up graveyard I've ever seen, it was wow. in such a pitiful state, oh, no. and then I found my great-grandfather's grave, and he died um, out in, uh, in France during the First World War, so oh, his wow. is in one of the Commonwealth Grave, um, uh, right. what they call the Commonwealth Grave Commission, something like that, um, in one of their graveyards, um, and I found it It was a really hard one to find, but they are perfectly kept. Wow! And I mean, the, the reverence with which they treat, yeah. you know, the the dead armed forces is fabulous. It yeah.
1: really is. Do you and your sister talk about it still? Do you feel of you? Not,
2: not very often. No, I still ring my mum on the on the anniversary of his death, obviously, because she probably has the hardest time of it. Yeah. They got married on her nineteenth birthday, and he died when he was how old was he? Sixty. Eight, oh, I think.
1: Wow.
2: So that old? Just a, so and they'd only really known each other, you know. Yeah. Which was you know, which is a very so for one half of a partnership that long to disappear yeah. permanently
1: It's really leaves a
2: leaves a hell of a hole, I think. But yeah. She then started to become him. Oh really? um, yeah she started to take on his responsibilities and started to do things like build walls and <laughs> mend fences and, and 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 consequently do things like drop breeze blocks on her toes and things like that. Great. So she started yeah she thought she ought to do some of the things that he did.
1: It's like mum get some people in. <laughs>
2: and she and she was always complaining about, you know, bits of wiring or the or the pump for the swimming pool. You never you never wrote this down Keith you never told me what order you're supposed yeah. to do the valves in you know. Oh.
1: Well, yeah, we talk about some of communication, jobs that you do yeah. that like yep. especially in a partnership that long. It's just done, isn't it? It's just like oh you do that and I do that and we don't I don't tell you what I'm doing, but yeah. it's really, it's important to check in with your partner. Yeah. What do you do that I have no idea about? <laughs>
2: I had I achieved a tiny little bit of closure. Oh yeah.
1: Um,
2: when I read a book uh, a couple of years ago called "Smoke Gets in Your Eyes" by oh, Catelyn Doughty, and she worked for many years backstage at yes. uh, crematorium yes, in San Francisco. I've
0: heard
1: this. And it was yeah. a book all
2: about what goes on behind that door that you don't go through.
1: Oh wow. Um,
2: and it gave me a little bit of relief because I'd always been struck by the how shit my dead dad looked.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah
2: with his broken nose and his one open eye and not shaved and in a terrible fucking state. And it was only when I read that book that I realised, of course you can't do anything to him if you're taking him off for medical uh, Uh, research, can you? And she goes further. She describes what they do do to corpses to make them look so good.
1: Because she said the biggest
2: phone call, the most regular phone call we got at the crematorium was someone going, why have you charged me 500 bucks just for looking after
1: oh,
2: uh, my relative. And yeah. the answer is because you've got no idea what we have to do to make them look all right for when you come and see them. They do wow. a lot. I'm not even going to describe what they yeah, do. I think you read, should read the, read book, the book because yeah. it's pretty fucking horrific.
1: Wow. Yeah, I I, I mean, it makes sense. Yep. You know, you leave a bit of cheese out too long, it doesn't look good, does yep. it? Like, you yep. know, a human body, there's got, you've got to do a lot of stuff to that to make that okay.
2: But it's things like, I'll give you a, I'll tell you what, I will give you one example. Sure, But, yeah. a, but a slightly, one on the nicer end of the scale is yeah. because your eyes sink when you die.
1: Okay, literally go. closing my eyes immediately, yeah.
2: They have to put like little contact lenses, if you like, the little arch bits of plastic under the eyelids so it looks like you've still got two eyeballs.
1: Whoa. and then of
2: course they have to glue the eyelids shut don't they
1: Whoa. and there's a
2: list of things like this I which like are it. sensational it's a very good book I recommend it but
1: yeah, the beware for, I'm all for not well we, we talked about this on the live show actually like you know some cultures have open caskets and that's really important mm. you know and that's really important for them I, I don't think it's a bad thing to see a dead body but yeah with my dad I saw him after he died but I didn't you know, after, then the hospital dealt with it and he was in a coffin and that was the end of it, you know. and I. So
2: was he still in the bed when you saw him then? Yeah,
1: because he died in a hospital, yeah. like, and we were there. And because it's cancer, it wasn't like, there wasn't any machines. They were just waiting for him to die. Really? So, yeah, like, because they just take everything out because they're like, this person is, is, is dying. Is it just,
2: just reduced to palliative care? Is it just yes. painkillers then?
1: Yeah, so he must have been on mor- morphine and yeah. I, do, I think there was like a drip with something in. But he didn't, I mean, obviously he was... It depends on the person, but he didn't end up in ICU and he didn't end up on a ventilator or anything like that. It was just like, this person's very slowly dying and we're just, yeah, waiting. Yeah. So he was in a hospital bed and we were around him. And, yeah, so I remember there not being, like... It didn't feel like there was lots of tubes or anything like that. Mm. It felt like it was just... I mean, obviously, he looked awful, looked like he was fucking yeah. dying. And... Um, yeah, and like their body is shutting down, but they don't give them any food or fluids because they yeah. want them to die. Yeah. So I remember my brother saying that of like, you know, he needs water, he needs water. And they have like this horrible, it's not horrible, it's they like a little cotton bud you can put to moisten their lips because yeah. everything gets really dry. And I remember my brother saying like, you know, he needs to give him water. My mum being like, like, no, we can't. Like, the point is, we're you know, we're trying to help him die. Like, we don't. Um I remember at the time being like, whoa, <laughs> like, whoa oh, dang, what? that right doesn't sound like, what? Okay, but... Is this what we do? Yeah, but then it's, now I'm very appreciative that my mum was very calm and understood what was going on, as so me and my brother were obviously much more, you know, much more younger, much more like, but the, like... Because
2: you were about 14. I was 15, 15 yeah. 15.
1: I was 15, so my brother was 19. Um, yeah my mum was amazing like <laughs> my mum is amazing and she's very good in stressful situations like we, you know like you definitely want her around with something when the shit kicks <laughs> off she's like she's like got it East End Essex lady and um, so she just was very calm and was like yeah this is what happened and when he did the death rattle was if they're not on ventilators this rattle starts yeah. happening because the fluid yeah. filling their lungs and again my brother was like what was that what was that I just never said anything I was like mm-hmm. And she said, oh, it's the death battle. He's dying. You know, and I was like, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> like, which, again, I still to this day, I have said to her, like, how did you know that? She's like, I don't know. You just know it. Like, it's just things you know. I was like, well, now I know. So, yeah, it was a very different experience. So, I saw him dead. I saw him die and I saw him dead. But yeah. I once, you know, and also because he cancer, he was, so, like you said, he was already in a terrible state. He yeah. didn't. yeah. Yeah, much thinner and almost yellow and, yeah, didn't look, like you say, that like, kind of like, oh, my God, my dad looks like not not a well person at all. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. Which he, was accurate. Which yeah. was very accurate. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I could be. I diagnosed <laughs> that straight away. Guys, this guy is bad. So, yeah, but I know what you mean. I I think it's interesting that you saw him like that because I'm sure it must have been deeply traumatic. It was horrible, yeah. But in another way, you know, they have this huge thing – now in psychotherapy that you need to see the body and it really helps get the closure
0: yes it and then does it's also yeah. helps
1: you understand why he made that choice like yes you said you read that book because you were trying to figure out what was happening so in a way it sort of led to yeah understanding that process a bit more i suppose yes
2: it did yeah i suppose but it's a very different thing from seeing someone in like my grandmother in the chapel mm. rest, where she'd been looked after you know yeah, yeah. Said, great you know that was that was really lovely because i just thought oh man, you look great, you know. <laughs> I did come out and save the funeral director at the time, she looks fantastically well, doesn't she? <laughs> Even though she was stone cold and waxy, you know. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. I don't now, think I've and, seen one done. Have you
1: not? No, I don't think so. I've seen of dead bodies, but not... Like, I've seen fresh. Fresh? Fresh dead bodies. But you not, haven't
2: seen... Uh, no,
1: I don't think so.
2: One that's been iced.
1: No, no. not an iced cake. <laughs>
2: no. Um, yeah, well, now... The, the other thing that's... I was going to jump off with of this. I had a few thoughts about it before coming here, and I was going to jump off with this point, but we we'll, we may as well do it now. Yes, yeah, sure. which is the verb died. Mm. He died. You go, cause as someone like me who just who constantly thinks about the weight of words and things, I go. It, so it's something that is an active verb.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think dying, it should be passive. It should be something that happens to you, not something you do. He
1: died. <laughs> he that. was died. He was died, yeah. Mm. Well, I said this, I think I said this in Aisling's episode, that only recently in therapy, my therapist pointed out that I always say, when I was 15, my dad died. I very rarely say, he's dead. And I find he's dead Still quite tricky Do to you? say, yeah, because he's died sounds active, sounds like and he's it's an doing event
2: it. in the past, it's an
1: event he's doing Whereas it. Whereas he's still dying. dead
2: now, isn't he?
1: Yeah, dead that sounds very final to me. It makes me feel like, oh, I'm sorry, what is he? He's not dead, he died, yes, <laughs> like and like she pointed out to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm still clinging on to like him doing something, you know, he did this, yeah. he's doing yeah. it, yeah, I agree with you, the died is. It's a I maybe it's a maybe it's a sneaky helpful word because you sounds active and it makes you feel like they kind of did it rather than like yeah. it happened to them. Perhaps that's why it's evolved that way. I don't know.
2: I, I, I can't work out whether it is an active or a passive thing. I don't know yeah. whether you die or whether death happens to you.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I
2: suppose I'll find out one day. <laughs>
1: <then>. <laughs> one day. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I suppose I just feel like dead is just to me is like it's, to me, dead is a full stop and died is a comma.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes, because someone can die and then things go on. Yeah. Can't they? And they do. Isn't weird? Did you have this as well? The peculiar thing when I got the news, my mum rang me. I was sitting outside the festival hall where I used to work with Joel, having a sandwich in the days when I ate bread. <laughs> before bread hates, before bread started to hate me. Um, and... Uh, I was eating a sandwich and she rang and uh, and said he died and so I said okay I'll pack up my stuff and get a plane over um and put this rest of this sandwich down which I suddenly wasn't in the mood for
1: yeah
2: um and had that strange feeling of looking looking around at everybody and going everything's just carrying on isn't it Everything's yeah. just carrying on.
1: It's so and weird. Now I've
2: got to carry on. <laughs> you
1: feel like there should be like a Batman signal in the sky mm. of like, someone just died. Everyone stop smiling immediately. Put on your yeah. black clothes.
2: Or can we just have a big Matrix freeze yeah, for a minute? Yeah. Can everyone just stop for a minute? It's
1: nothing <laughs> while weird. While this sinks in. I used to find that when you'd see like children running and laughing, and you're like, how are they acting like nothing's happened you know what i mean something very anything full of life when you've yeah. had that that suddenly feels really especially on the south bank i can imagine that must have been really weird with people yeah. just running and laughing at the joy of london yeah like,
2: yep. yeah arts and culture
1: yeah. fab, <laughs> <Fuck> fountains. You. <laughs> <laughs> so you then just went straight back on that plane that was that that must have been a strange journey back to spain
2: yeah it was i don't really remember much about it oh, Actually, i don't yeah. remember much before going to the Going to the funeral parlour, Frank. By the way, the funeral parlour in Spanish is a tanatorio, which is a thanatorium, or death building. Wow. Thanos, death, Greek, isn't it? Tanatorio. Oh, my God. That's... A deadarium. <laughs> oh, God.
1: That sounds like a really awful bit of London Zoo. Doesn't it? it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Don't go into the dead area with kids. Is is no? It's just nice. Go straight to the reptile it's for, house. It's for,
2: it's for some of the smellier grown-ups. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's it's not good. Yeah, I mean that's very common as well. It all being all being a blur. And so, how do you feel about your own mortality now? Does do you feel more aware of it or more okay with it? Like, are you thinking of donating your body? Would you do that? Uh,
2: I no. I've left. I'll tell you what I did do um, last year is uh, both my partner and I wrote wills because I thought, God, I've been getting around to this. I've been thinking it for years. And when it got to the bit about what happens after my death, I just went, I'm going to leave all the plans up to whoever whoever inherits the problem,
0: basically. (laughs) Because
2: I thought, it's not for me, is it? The funeral is for the people who come. So organise it however you like. You know, do what you like. I don't. I don't really mind what happens to yeah. what remains of me after death. I, it doesn't matter by then anyway. Yeah. But but mortality. I have thought about. Yeah. I had a. I had a weird experience that a, a couple of, a couple of years ago, which genuinely uh, got to me for some reason. Um, I was back in the early mid nineties. Um, I struck up a friendship with um, a female actor. Um, when we did a show together, um, and we hung out a bit and got on rather well. And at some point, we ended up in the same bed.
1: Sure.
2: Um, I concluded that that was a mistake, (laughs) and I'm not sure whether she did. I think she probably did as well. But but anyway, it meant that we didn't really speak to each other very often after that. For some reason, I was thinking about her a couple of years ago. I thought, I wonder where she is. Um, I wonder how she is. I'm going to look her up. Um, so I Googled her and all I could find out was about some TV shows she'd been in years ago and just couldn't really find any trace of her at all. And I was, uh, I mentioned to a friend of mine, I said, you know, how do you, how do you find someone? And he went, well, I'm an investigative journalist. I, I can, I'll find her if you <laughs> oh want me to God. find her. So I said, yeah, go on. Cause I'd love to be in touch with her. I'd, I'd found an old phone number for her and had yeah. tried that and got nothing. Um, and he rang me at some point and he said, um, okay, do you want to know? So I went, Oh right, yeah. what's up? And he said, I'll I'll send you a copy of her um her death certificate. Wow. Went, oh she died. And she was about I think she died aged about thirty eight. Um and and not in a not nice way as well. But it but it sort of got to me because I thought that's the first person I know. Who I've had sex with, who has died. So I've done the most living thing you can do with someone who is no longer living, and it was a really weird dissonance. Like it took me a few days to sort of work through it and get sort of pick it to bits. Even now, I'm struggling to articulate it. Yeah, because it was such an odd feeling of going. But but we were in bed together. Yeah. And now you're dead.
1: Well, it's that thing as well of ageing, isn't it? It's just like, oh, I see, like that's because I think when you're you know under 25 these things to most people are like imp- impossible to even conceive and you start mm. realizing oh death is near death is always near yeah and we just treat it all the time like it's not and so you know I, I didn't feel like that because my dad died when I was 15 my dad is dead <laughs> I'm getting better at <laughs> <about> it <laughs> but like I didn't feel, I felt like death was so present and that's why you know I was I'd suffered terribly from anxiety and because it was like it's too close to me. Yeah. But I would see other people and be like it's like it's like me saying I've been to Moomin Valley to you. Like it's like, "Well, where is that? Doesn't exist." You know, and you're like, "It's real. Why are you all acting like it's not real?" And I think that's the thing when someone young or your age or you've had sex with, you're like, "But how can they yeah. be dead? That means yeah. I'm gonna die
2: like. I suppose it is a reminder isn't it? There was a page that um that we wrote in the Ladybird book of the midlife crisis about um was it the midlife crisis or was it the husband i can't remember anyway. I think it was the husband about how, as he gets older, he starts to make little noises he creak you know he sighs as he gets out of chairs and oh, pom poms yeah. as he walks from room to room. <laughs> this is to remind himself that he's still here yeah um and and I wrote that and th- I really enjoyed that gag and then a few comparatively recently I stuck on a Tom Waits album I hadn't listened to for a long while, Alice um, and there's a song on that called I'm Still Here
1: Oh wow! and I thought
2: oh I think I must have dialled that up for it because it is about
1: yeah.
2: feeling like you don't exist It, it yeah. goes, the lyric goes you haven't looked at me that way in years but I'm still here oh. and you go oh fuck he can write can't he yeah. oh it's a great tune it absolutely folds me in half yeah. every time I listen to it, though. <laughs> Can I read you something <laughs> yes, that please Neil him. Edmund Oh, the amazing said. Neil Edmund. The, the amazing Neil Edmund. I was, I was reflecting on Facebook. on the, it, was, it was the anniversary of my dad's death. I think I was reflecting on how I, I felt the years since he died were time that he wasn't going to get back as well the time that I wasn't going to get yeah. back. And Neil Edmund said this, which I think is just brilliant, so I've written it down. Good. He said, it's so difficult to avoid their defining characteristic being deadness. My dad never really thought of himself as dead, but that's how we all think of him now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love brilliant. Neil. He's one of the funniest people ever. He really is. He really that's is. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. That reminds me when I once said to Ken Campbell, name dropping, oh, he said something, jealous. what did your dad do or something? And I said, oh, he's, he died. And he went, they have a habit of doing that. and I thought that's the best thing anyone had ever said to me about a dead dad like just went they have a bit of doing that and I thought yeah they fucking do they do (laughs) they do well on that note Jason thank you so much for coming to talk to me about Keith and all things death related I really appreciate it thank you
2: Karen thank you
1: You can listen to Jason's excellent comedy podcast, Rule of Three, wherever you get your podcasts from, and you can follow him on Twitter at Jason Hazley and see his work everywhere. But as a tip, his very good Radio 4 series, Agendum, is available to buy now if you missed it on iPlayer and is well worth a listen. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast, or email thegriefcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please do rate, review, subscribe it, all the things we always ask you. It does genuinely help other people find the show and allows me to keep making it. So thank you if you've done that already. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone.